We're in the middle of a series, just started last week, a bit of an intro in a series called Who Needs God? Looking at kind of the the skeptic's uh, glance at faith as a whole and specifically of Christianity. And, and last week we talked about really the myth that religion and spirituality is, is phasing out. And there's, there's a rise of what we call the nuns, and, but N-O-N-E-S, meaning they don't affiliate with any sort of religion or, or any sort of spirituality. But studies are actually showing that faith, especially in areas outside of, of North America, are, are bursting, are just growing like crazy. Um, specifically Christianity. But even if you ask most people on the street here, 70 to 80% of people are going to say, well, no, I believe that there's a spiritual realm. Whether I'm going to allow that to uh, have anything to say with how I'm going to live my life, that's a different question. But yeah, for the most part, I believe there is kind of a a spiritual realm uh, out there somewhere. So today we're going to continue on with the the idea of of who needs God and talk about the idea of meaning in our lives. Uh, I want to start by reading a text from Ephesians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can grab it. It's kind of going to be a launching text. We're not going to be digging through the text too much. We'll be hitting a few others, uh, but kind of a, a launching to kind of frame our, my message this morning. There's a lot of keys in my pocket. Um, so in Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 21. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 21. And uh, you're going to be sitting for a while, so I invite you to stand out of respect for God's Word. These are the most important words you're going to hear today, the inspired words of God to us this morning. This is the Apostle Paul who writes this to a, to a young church, first century. He says, so then, remember, these are people who are spreading out around the known world at the time, persecuted, trying to find belonging. So, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Paul is saying, doesn't matter what area you come from, what your background is, what you've assumed is your identity and your purpose and your meaning in life, God wants to bring you all into his purposes and his beautiful story. God of grace, I pray you would speak to us uh, this morning. I pray you would open our hearts and our minds. And for each of us, we, in, our, in our week, in our relationships, in our workplace, in school, we're, we're all running after a way to gain identity. We're all trying to figure out how to, how to feed purpose into what we're doing, to figure out what meaning is and have that kind of frame our lives. So I pray you would speak to us, each of us, in our individual circumstances. And thank you that, that you see us as, as your community and welcome us in to your community, even this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can take a seat. There is a, uh, a story of... Uh, a couple in a, in a village in the 1800s in Italy, a small village. And this couple was known for having never had an argument. No one had ever seen this couple have... Brian, why are you laughing already? They had never seen this couple have an argument. Not as far as it became like this myth, like who, who can believe that this is possible? So one day, this young married man who had only been married a year, he's like, I don't know how he pulled that off. They pulled that off for so long. So he actually tracked this, this man down from this, this couple, and he, he said, uh, can, you, can you please explain to me how you've lived so long and no one's ever seen you have an argument? He said, well, let me tell you about the day we were married. So the day we were married in our small village, uh, the celebration was over, 
and we were riding our mule back home. And the mule stumbled, and my wife, out of nowhere, said, that's one. And I had no idea what she was talking about. I kind of looked over her shoulder. And a few minutes later, the mule stumbled again. She said, that's two. He was a little confused, about to say something, but he thought he would just leave it. Didn't really know what was going on, trying to, still getting familiar with his, his bride, his new wife. And as he got a little further down, the, the mule stumbled again. She said, that's it. She jumped down, took out a gun, and shot it. And the husband looked down at his wife. He said, you can't, every time you have a problem, you can't just take care of it like that. You have to learn to deal with things. And she looked up to him, and he looked into her deep blue eyes, and she said, that's one. <laughs> Sam, you like that? <laughs> it's true that the way we see our existence, the way we interpret our situation, comes from a, a larger story that we believe that we are living in, and that is true for every one of us. It's the invitation of the Apostle Paul in the text that we just read in Ephesians 2, 19 to 21, uh, to be a part of what God is building, of, of which is built on the person and the work of Jesus Christ, unshakable cannot be moved by you, to take individual lives like those of us who are all sitting here now, bring them together into a beautiful masterpiece to, to bring meaning and purpose and identity. Now today, if you stepped out of this building and went to those who were walking, or maybe on a sunny day, who were walk out and to ask people who were walking around uh, the lake or, or step out to the the, the, the sky train and as people came down, ask them where they find meaning most of them would probably say that there is no meaning, or, or I, I make my own meaning. I don't need anyone, I don't, I don't have a larger story to tell me how to live. In 2015, an article in BuzzFeed, which we all find our information from, uh, <laughs> the question was posed to atheists to explain how they found meaning in life. If you don't believe in God, how do you find meaning in life? Alam Shaha, an, uh, the author of Young Atheist Handbook, said this. He said, yes, of course. I know that life is ultimately without meaning or purpose, but the trick is not to wake up every morning and feel that way. Sounds, sounds so easy. Cognitive dissonance, he says, embrace it. Create a sense of meaning and purpose by doing something useful with your life. I teach. Being creative. I don't mean that in a poncy hipster way. I don't know what his problem is with hipsters. I'm just, I'm just quoting. I mean, I make a curry. I, I build some bookshelves. I write a poem. Well, there's a few follow-up questions that I think need to be asked. One is uh, obvious. How do you judge if something's useful? If you don't know the story you're in, how do you know if something is, use is useful? How long does a bowl of curry or some bookshelves satisfy the desire in our, in our lives to have a deeper meaning? But if there's the here and now if, and everything is headed nowhere, what is the purpose of creating or pursuing? See, there's something in us regardless of what we say we believe, that refuses to live out a secular worldview. There's something in us that just, it, it cannot ultimately live that out. We're going to unpack that more over the next few weeks. We can proclaim it with our mouths, but when we, when we interact with people and we believe certain things that, that, sh that, that play out in the way we live our lives and interact with others... A secular worldview view without, without, without a closed worldview where there's nothing outside of just the material, it just doesn't play out. How different, how different are the statements of Jesus making promises 
that, that call out to satisfy our deepest needs, that call out to satisfy that deep hunger within us. In John 6, 35, one of the many I am statements of Jesus, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He's saying what? That there's something that, that there's a hunger in you that curry will never feed. And I like curry. There, there's a far deeper need crying out that writing poetry will never fully express and will never fulfill. Building bookshelves is never going to quiet that call out inside us. It can never be found in simple food and drink and occupation and relationship. John 8, 12, Jesus says, he spoke to them saying, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 14, 6, Jesus said to them, I'm the way, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So in the, in the midst of a, of a secular worldview, a closed worldview, where meaning is, is created and, and limited really to our own heads, the meaning we create, the good news of Jesus aims to bring light into a dark universe, meaning and truth resulting in joy and hope. Paul throws this out in, in Romans 15, 13. He says, may the God, this is the best thing he can throw on the people he's writing to, may the God of hope, don't we need hope? May the God of hope fill you with all joy, fill you with peace in believing. Where does that peace come from? Believing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. We live in a hopeless world. I don't mean that in reality there's no hope. I mean we are walking around as individuals hurt and feeling hopeless. This is good news. This is good news. And I'm not saying right now, because it's better, you, you should believe it. That'll come later when we talk about why there is good reason to believe in God. What I'm saying is, whether you, are you sitting here this morning, whether you believe the gospel is true or not, whether you believe there is a God or not, you should really want to believe that there is a God. It is a far more beautiful story than we could ever come up with ourselves. That's what I'm saying this morning. Because there is such a burden of living out a closed story. There is such a burden to trying to live out a life of meaning, identity, and purpose in a closed world. In a world where we say there is no God and there's nothing but what I make of it. It is a burden. A closed story is a burden in a few ways. So that's my first point this morning, the burden, the burden of a closed story. It's a, it's a burden when we try to find identity. Seeking identity without God is crushing. It is crushing. Go on Facebook or Instagram or whatever the new one is. And you, you, all you see is one after another after another trying to show that they have an identity. They are somebody waiting for you to give a thumbs up. It is, it is crushing to you to try to come up with an identity. Because how do we come up? We, we, we have to accomplish. We have to project a certain version of ourselves, succeed, belong, be accepted by people who are, who are always shifted and as confused as you and I are. And we're trying to say, no, look at me. Give me some identity. It's crushing to others. Because if you're trying to find your identity and how others approach you, you're going to throw all sorts of responsibility on them that they cannot handle. That is a burden. This you complete me? Eh. It doesn't work. It strains us. It'll always let you down and always tire the other person out. 
Always. Significant other that fills, us, fills up all the spaces we lack emotionally and spiritually, it's not out there. In essence, asking someone, maybe a romantic relationship, but, but also maybe our kids, maybe our parents, best friends, our job, our, our accomplishments to, to fulfill something in us that they were never meant to fulfill or to complete, that simply they cannot sustain. That is crushing. Ultimately, we're asking for those things to be Jesus, to fulfill something that only Jesus can fulfill. And they were never meant to do that, and you were never meant to put that kind of pressure on those things or those people. So trying to find identity without God is crushing. Trying to find meaning without God is crushing. And futile, really. When we, when we claim to believe in a closed world, a world where there is, there is nothing but what we make of it, we are hard-pressed to make every situation and every experience top. Try to outdo every situation with a new situation that's amazing, to, to create meaning and find ourselves continually moving from one experience to the next, hoping that the next one will bring meaning, and most of those are captured on Instagram, Right? So we take a picture of our dessert or our view or wherever we are or our cigar and our wine and we say, hey, isn't, doesn't this have meaning? Show me it has meaning. Ooh, this has meaning. I got 10. Ooh, this had more meaning. Every vacation, every date, every family get-together has weight placed on it that, that, that it has to bring meaning to our lives. And we, we send every picture out. So that we get that. And if we don't send the picture out, then did it really happen? And wasn't it just a wasted moment as our ice cream melts? We come back from a vacation from Europe or Mexico, and it didn't really meet up to what we were expecting from it. So we come back not as satisfied as we could have been. It's a lot of pressure on Mexico to fulfill our needs that way. Closely connected to the idea of meaning is the idea of contentment and finding contentment in our lives, joy and happiness and sustenance. It's always elusive, isn't it? The kind of happiness that the world tells us, the car commercials with the hair, the slow motion hair. It's like, I, I want to be that guy. And then you're driving the car, I don't feel like that guy. Something, something still isn't here. We look to the new job, the new marriage, the extra zero on the paycheck, the new technology the Instagram recognition, but the reason that the tech industry can continue to boom and tell you, you you're not there yet because the X is coming out, the 10 is coming out, the reason the tech industry can boom, why we will sacrifice family and friends for the next job, for, for more money, the reason the porn industry is booming is because it does not satisfy. It was never created to satisfy. It is taking something beautiful of God and tearing it from where it belongs and saying, still, still find meaning in it. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work in a closed universe. And here's the trap. Here's the trap. Because every time that we look for our happiness in these, these shaky and changing and shifting and, and unsatisfactory places, when, when it doesn't bring us happiness and meaning and identity... What are our thoughts? Our thought is, what's wrong with me? Everybody told me this would bring me happiness. All the commercials told me this would bring me happiness. Facebook told me this. Is, I'm not, still not happy, so there must be something wrong with me. I was promised. I was told that following my heart, living for myself, creating my own identity would do it, but none of this is doing it. That is why we are among the richest and most depressed people in the world. 
our longings are not being met. All the while, we're being told that these are the pursuits in which identity and meaning and contentment are found, and they don't satisfy. C.S. Lewis says it this way, he says it as he often does so well. He says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. As the writer of Ecclesiastes says, our heart longs for eternity. If there's something in us that our current story cannot fulfill, we are living in and for the wrong story. So what story are you living in and for? Our culture seems to be infected by an ongoing longing for an unattainable satisfaction. Jim Carrey, actor, comedian, kind of freaky dude, I'm honest. (laughs) He suggests a solution to save us time. He says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it it is not the answer. See, Christians are often criticized for being people of blind faith. That there's no proof to show that the way they're living is true. I submit that there's been no evidence that money or casual sexual relationships, success in work bring happiness. In fact, there's been a lot of studies sociologically and psychologically that say they do not. Case closed. The opposite is quite true. They bring depression and anxiety the more we run after them. But watch five minutes of commercials and no one seems to be listening. Talk about blind faith. No, I'll be the exception. When I make the money, I'll be happy. If I sleep with as many women as I want, it'll be different for me. I'll be happy. It's a lie. But that is what is to be expected when the burden of meaning and identity is placed on our shoulders in a closed world. Sadly, Carrie had no answer to the misguided Longing. He actually adds to it. He says, I really believe in the philosophy that you create your own universe. Well, there's no burden there. That sounds easy. No pressure. That story simply doesn't work. It doesn't work for a culture, and it doesn't work for you and I as individuals. If our greatest pursuit is, is happiness, and, and that's the main story of our culture, your pursuit of happiness, that's what you deserve after all, then what if that happiness is never attained? Where's my identity? Where's my meaning? Or what if all those things which bring us happiness go away, whether it's a person, whether it's a job, whether it's our finances? Quoting Tim Keller here in his introduction to Counterfeit Gods, and I don't have the quote up there, so I'll just read it. He's discussing the global economic crisis in 2008 and the response of the the powerful and the connected Says there followed a tragic string of suicides of formerly wealthy and well-connected individuals. The acting chief financial officer of Freddie Mac, the federal home loan mortgage corporation, hung himself in his basement. Chief executive of Sheldon Good, a leading U.S. real estate auction firm, shot himself in the head behind the wheel of his red Jaguar. The irony there. A French money manager who invested the wealth of many of Europe's royal and leading families and who had lost $1.4 million of his clients' money in Bernard Madoff's Ponzi scheme slid his wrists and died in his Madison Avenue office. A Danish senior executive at HSBC Bank hung himself uh, in the wardrobe of his 500-pound-a-night suite in London. It goes on and on, overdosing, uh, taking drugs and jumping out 29-story windows. Because all of their worth and identity and meaning was found in their position, their prestige, and their money. It doesn't 
work. But you know what? I've seen people walk through cancer. I've seen people suffer for long times and suffer well and with a smile on their face because their meaning and their identity and their purpose was caught up in the promise that comes to the cross and the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And I know rich people who've lost their money and have been happy still because of Jesus Christ. Because of the fulfillment that he brings and the wealth and the blessing. Not the Western version, but the health and blessing and mercy and grace that Christ brings. In the 1830s, when Alexis de Tocqueville, a French diplomat, was in America, he recorded his famous observations of America. He noted it. And I quote, a strange melancholy that haunts the inhabitants in the midst of abundance. Americans believed that prosperity could quench their yearning for happiness, but such a hope was illusory. Because, de Tocqueville added, the incomplete joys of this world will never satisfy the human heart. You are not the exception. Don't care who you are, how great your job's going. You are not the exception. I am not the exception. The incomplete joys of this world, separated from the God who gave them, will never satisfy the human heart. This strange melancholy, he says, manifests itself in many ways, but always leads to the same despair of not finding what is sought, like a mirage. And you and I may love to make fun of the Americans. Oh, who am I kidding? Love to make fun of the Americans. A lot. And it's been so easy lately. But you and I, we in Canada have drunk the same poison, pursued the same kinds of happiness, and they do not satisfy. And we may never respond in such dramatic fashion as I've just read, but we will find our souls just tired. Tired from trying to live up to other people's expectations, tired from trying to live up to our own expectations, tired of being let down by people who could not stand up to our expectations, comfortable, happy situations, shifting. And we, if we lived in a closed story where, where, where there is not meaning, but, but only that what we make, we find ourselves physically, emotionally, and spiritually exhausted. But what if there's a better story? That's what the gospel gives us, a better story. Because of the, 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 how we can look at all of creation and all of history because of the person and work of Jesus Christ, because of what took place at the cross, we are invited into the relief of a bigger, better story. A story that gives a truer identity, truer meaning, contentment. There, there is a joy in a bigger story that we are not in charge of. There really is. That you are not in charge of everything about your story is actually relief. That you're not the hero of your story. It's actually relief. It's relief. It's a, it's a burden being removed. The, uh, there's an identity that cannot be crushed, a, a meaning that can be given, a contentment that cannot be taken in this story. Through Jesus, we are invited into a story we are not burdened to compose. We're not pressured to complete we're not pressured to be the hero. We're, we're relieved of all that. The idea of the hero was given to us by the Greek poets. Greek poetry, or Greek storytelling, was divided into, into four main categories by, by Aristotle. He said there's romance, there's comedy, there's tragedy, 
And then there's epic. Epic. Everyone loves the epic. When we think of epic and the, the way we use the word, we think of things like Star Wars. And, and you can be patient with, I want to go to Toshi Station and pick up some power converters. We can be patient with that because we know there's a bigger story going on than just this whiny kid on Tatooine. Like the Marvel Universe. It's an epic, larger story going on. Samwise and Frodo return, taking the ring. Yes, that's the closest to an amen this morning. That's not bad. The reason they moved on, and they have a huge conversation about it in Two Towers, is that they, they're in a bigger story. Do you think they're going to write about us one day, Frodo? Are we now one of those who, who knew they were in a bigger story, and so they kept trudging forward? That's an epic. There are a few things that are always true about an epic. There's always a sense that the story is being played out on a much larger scale on a much larger scale than, uh, stage than, than what's just in front of us. The characters and situations find their meaning and purpose and identity in the larger story they find themselves in. And the characters know how they ought to act, how they ought to think and live because of the larger story they find themselves in. And it's always those who refuse to admit or see that they're in a bigger story that die early. Or those who refuse to see that they're in a, a larger story who are usually the villains. They're short-sighted. Just what am I going to get out of i got to find my meaning. I'm going to find something out of this quickly. But those in the epic tales who understand that they are part of something greater than themselves, who do not need to create meaning out of their lives all on their own, but find their meaning in the larger story that they are submitting to, who find the strength to move on even when the circumstances seem unbearable, unmovable whose reason for life and hope is not destroyed by circumstance or mistake. It can't be because they were never in charge. It was never theirs to destroy. It was never their story to ruin. And whose joy is fuller because the story they find themselves living in is so much larger and beautiful than the one that they could write for themselves. That's the invitation of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus is an epic. And when we find ourselves part of it, it gives us meaning and identity and places us, as Paul says, in the family of God, in this beautiful artwork that God is putting together. In a letter called Hebrews, because it was written to the Hebrews, in the New Testament, in the Bible, the author writes these words. and He writes this to first century Christians who are going through difficult times. He says this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. He says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. What does that mean? It means that hope, faith, purpose, find their basis in something that has already happened. Something deeper than what you can come up with on your own. Something larger than you can imagine by yourself. The author knows that hope for the future actually comes from the past. The reason that Christians in the first century can look to the future with hope, and the same reason you and I can, is because we know how God has worked in the past, and he is a keeper of promises, and he is trustworthy, and he is faithful. When my kids come to me and ask for something, and I make a promise... They do a quick calculation in their head. They might not know whether they're doing this calculation, but they do a quick calculation. When he's promised me things in the past, has it come, has it come true? When he said, I'll save some pie, was there any there when I came back? 
So they do this quick calculation, and has my dad been faithful in the past? Can I trust him for the future? That's how it works in the, with the gospel. That's how it works in the epic that God is calling us into. That's why when you read the Psalms over, over and over and over, God tells Israel to remember their past so that they can look forward to the future with hope. That is what you and I are called to. That is what the Bible means when it says faith. It's saying you have, you have seen God at work in the past, so you can trust him for the future. And then the writer goes on in this letter, in this chapter, to go through this list of people who followed God and everything went perfect for them. Let's pray. I'm just kidding. It did not. Many had great things happen for them. You would say they had lives of victory. They saw, they saw God move in miraculous ways, but some had it so bad, so bad, suffered. And I'm not talking about suffering as what? I can't bring food into the theater. I'm not allowed to have coffee. Not that kind of suffering. By the way, you're not supposed to bring food or coffee into the theater. I've been reminded. Not suffering like, ah, they got my latte wrong. Suffering like, hey man, where are my legs? That kind of suffering. Suffering like being torn in two. People who didn't, you know, get their dreams met, didn't get the home they were hoping for, living in caves and tattered clothing. What's the point of that? The point is, he, he, he lists this, what, what many call it, this list, the story of faith, of the faithful. They all kept on because they knew they were part of something bigger than just what they could come up with. And that was what was leading them somewhere. Then he says this, in Hebrews chapter 12, he's finished that whole list. He says, therefore, and the, the question of pastors preaching is always, what is the therefore, therefore? Geeks. But the reason, so he's saying, so what, what, after what I just read, in light of this list of people who, who knew they were in an epic, and things so it went well for some, it didn't go so well for others, but they still followed God through it. Therefore, since we, Christ followers, are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. Look to him. Whatever you're going through this week, whatever it is at work, whatever it is at school, in your marriage, in your parenting, whatever it is, consider him. Consider him. Behold him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Keep in mind, brothers and sisters in Christ, you are part of an epic. The author of life has invited you in, and it is going somewhere. It's a beautiful story of hope. So how do you and I endure? How do you and I find purpose, find solidity in our lives? We look to the author and the sustainer of life who lived and died and rose again, showing his authority over everything that we, we fear so that you and I might have life and life more abundantly, Jesus says. Can we be happy for a time without Jesus? Can we have joy in our lives without Jesus? Yes, we can. We can exist. We, we look at other people and we go, oh, they seem to be doing all right. They're not, they're not Christians. They don't believe in God. They seem, they seem to be doing all right. So we can, we can be happy without faith, belief in something bigger than ourselves, as long as everything goes the way we want it. 
So if, if right now you've stepped into church this morning and you've stepped in and you thought, man, you know, my life is going pretty good right now. Everything kind of feels right. Tell everything in your life not to move. Tell everyone you love and where you work and everything that's going on everywhere else in the world just to freeze. And then you can sustain your happiness. Because that's the only way you can sustain happiness that is based on circumstance in a closed world. As long as we know the secret of finding balance and stops everyone else from moving, yeah, we can, we can be happy. But only Jesus, only Jesus offers a meaning that is unshakable through all the trials of life. Because it's based on someone who has shown his power over life and death and tells us this is leading somewhere, who, who in the midst of, of emotional starvation says, I am the bread of life. Feed off of me. Who says in the midst of, of spiritual darkness, I'm the light of the world. Look to me. In the midst of shifting ideas and trying to find solid ground and in shifting opinions, he says, I am the truth. I'm the way. So can we have existence or, or exist? In a world without God, sure we can, but our world will be so small and it will be so suffocating. Chesterton, great author, G.K. Chesterton, says this. He says, if we were to allow God to break into this small world, if we were, if we were to allow the power of God to look the power of God who who took on human flesh, who lived and died to show his power over sin and death and his deep desire to forgive and accept you as you are, not as some future version of you. He says, if you would allow God to do that, he would break, uh, you would break out of this tiny and tawdry theater in which your own little plot is always being played and you would find yourself under a freer sky. And the beauty of this, this new world this new story, this new freer sky is that it shines light on all the other things we attempt to find joy and identity in. So relationships are freed up because the burden of someone else giving me meaning and me leaning on someone else to complete me is relieved because my identity is not found in that person. The pressure on a moment to be a major moment and bring meaning to my life, the pressure is taken off. Because that's not where I find my meaning. Curry and bookshelves and poetry are more delightful because they play out in a much larger story. One that God is building us into if we say yes to him through Jesus. So what story are you living in this morning? What was on your mind? What's been a burden on you this week? That'll give you a good clue of what story you're living in. Where your identity is found where your meaning is found, what your idea of happiness is. God invites you into his story. He invites you into his family, the building together of you and I into a beautiful plot line where your identity is secure, you are loved by God, and his delight is in you. Where you do not need to accomplish to belong, you are accepted as you arrive. Where forgiveness is freely given and where every background, every unknown future and difficult present is given clarity and meaning through the cross of Jesus Christ where he displayed his power over our greatest fears and declares his love for you. That is a good story. Doesn't make it true. Keep coming. 
But it's a good story. And if you don't believe it, if you don't believe in God and you don't believe the gospel is true, you should want it to be true. So I would invite you over this next week, over this series, to seriously investigate the claims of Jesus Christ as we are going to do and give space. Open up your closed world that God may come in, smash out your sky, and invite you to a new, freer story. Amen? Amen. God of grace, thank you so much for the story we didn't even go looking for. For the gospel that preaches good news to us, even when we've got our hands over our ears. That you are a God who chases after us even as we run from you. That you have a love that is so stubborn, it just will not give up. Some of us really need that right now. So God, we want to invite you right now. Whatever story we've come in here with, even if we call ourselves Christ followers but we've allowed ourselves to, to walk along a different plot line, walk with a, a different worldview, truly living lives, maybe as, as though you did not exist, living practically as if we were atheists and that you have, your story has no real input into our own personal story. God, I pray you would open our hearts and minds and that we would submit to your reign over our story. You, are, you write such a better story than we could ever write. And so we invite you this morning to speak to us, move in us, and through us. And if you need to reveal to us, as we worship now, as we go uh, out this afternoon, if you need to reveal to us those areas that we need to give over to you, we, we say, Holy Spirit, counsel us and comfort us and give us clarity. And we say to you, God, already, whatever those things are going to be, because we love you, because you have our best interest in mind, we submit to you and we give them to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. <laughs>